Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our second WNBA Power Rankings. Jalen, let's just not waste any more time. We have the top 12 teams ready to go. Your top 12 Power Rankings. Yes, sir, bro. This one's crazy because this is the first power rankings we're making of the season after finally getting some actual WNBA action. But like you said, Ryan, got to get right in the mix. So I'm going to start from the bottom and move up. So at number 12, I have the Los Angeles Sparks. At number 11, I have the Minnesota Lynx. At number 10, I have the Indiana Fever. At number nine, I have the Dallas Wings. At number eight, I have the Atlanta Dream. At number seven, I have the Washington Mystics. At number six, I have the Chicago Sky. At number five, I have the Phoenix Mercury. At number four, I have the New York Liberty. At number three, I have the Las Vegas Aces. At number two, I have the defending champion Seattle Storm. And at number one, oh, Ryan, we were sleeping on this one, boy. We have the Connecticut Sun rounding out my list with the crown right now. All right, so for me at number 12, I have the Indiana Fever. Number 11, I have the Los Angeles Sparks. Number 10, I have the Minnesota Lynx. Number 9, I have the Washington Mystics. Number 8, I have the Dallas Wings. Number 7, I have the Atlanta Dream. Number 6, I have the Phoenix Mercury. Number 5, I have the Chicago Sky. Number 4, I have the Las Vegas Aces. Number 3, I have the Seattle Storm. Number 2, I have the New York Liberty. And number 1, the Connecticut Sun. Man, oh man. That is something else. Honestly, Ryan, I think the most impressive thing has to be the Connecticut Sun, right? Let's just start at the bottom and work our way up, bro. It's the only way. It's the only way. Started from the bottom and now we're here. Obviously, my guy, as a Drake reference that we have to get off at least once a podcast nowadays is. So, bro, let's just start off at the bottom, right? You had the fever. I had the Los Angeles Sparks. What has you down on the Indiana fever right now because honestly I think that the bottom three teams there's a lot of debate that can go around with the bottom three teams right now the fever are at number 10 um where I actually have them at and the Los Angeles Sparks are at number 11 where do you stand on these two teams why do you have them ranked where you have them I will start with the Indiana fever and I feel like they just they haven't moved the needle at all and I think that they've really struggled so far to get any offensive momentum going I'm also very concerned about Kaiser Godrasic remember when we were talking about the lack of minutes in the last WNBA episode this time around she only played eight minutes in the last game so I think that she definitely needs to get more playing time and Jalen this has been a recurring issue that we've seen throughout the season rookies not getting a lot of playing time I think that's going to be the main thing so far for the Indiana Fever is to try to get Kaiser Godrasic minutes. We mentioned that she's a great three-point shooter coming out of college. So she has that potential to be an offensive spark coming off the bench, but she deserves to get those starting minutes now considering that she was a top five pick in this past year's WNBA draft. The Los Angeles Sparks, on the other hand, I feel like they haven't improved and they haven't gotten better. They are 0-2 right now. And I feel like that they've really struggled this season without their two main stars in Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray. Now, Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray, they left in the offseason. Chelsea Gray went to the Las Vegas Aces, Candace Parker to the Chicago Sky. But I feel like there's no true star on this team. They really don't have a number one option. And they've, they've really been struggling on the offensive side. They've only scored 71 points and 69 points in both their games this season. And they have not been shooting the ball well. Looking at the game against Las Vegas, they shot 36.5% from the field. And I feel like there's a lot of issues right now with both teams offensively, which is why they are toward the bottom of my power rankings. So I think your take about the fever is really interesting because it sounds like it has a lot to do with the fact that their identity is still kind of under wraps. And it's one of those things where you would feel like this is something I've been saying on the pod as well as on my blog as of late 
is that the Indiana Fever don't seem to understand that they're playing with house money this season in terms of developing their talent. Kaiser has been one of those players all season over the course of these last six games that I've genuinely just been kind of underwhelmed with, and it's not even her fault. We're in a position where we keep looking at these these readouts, first game of the season, 12 minutes. That might have been one of the better better games for her from just from a being on the floor standpoint because her next best her next game right after that against the liberty in the back-to-back dropped by two minutes only played 10 minutes against the connecticut sun a team that we'll talk about um, a lot more later she played 16 minutes that's really the top end of where it's gotten all season and she only got 16 minutes because they got blown out by 21 points like unfortunately that's how it's dictated how do i know that because if you go to the very next game against the atlanta dream 11 minutes time drops right back again so i think the inconsistency in her minutes is one of those things that i think is kind of unfortunate for indiana but i couldn't really i couldn't really weigh that against them as much as maybe you did from a power ranking standpoint they've been in just about every game this season and ryan we have to admit they've they've drawn a tough card because, I mean, let's just be real. Lose by three points in the season opener against the Fever. Lose by eight points, I mean, uh, against the Liberty. Lose by eight points in the back-to-back game against the Liberty. Then, of course, you lose by 21 to Connecticut Sun, but the Connecticut Sun are obvious, are, are arguably the best team in the WNBA right now and definitely atop the list of one of the better defensive teams in the WNBA right now. Then you barely lose to the Dream by four. You beat the Mystics by 12, and then the Mystics come back with a little bit of vengeance because, you know, Tina Charles was, Charles is an MVP candidate. So I think that they were drawn a tough card when you get the Liberty twice, the Sun, the Dream who kind of like got a – they kind of, you know, are slowly bouncing back. They got even at two and two so far. And then the Mystics, they're a team right now that I genuinely believe – is better than what their roster indicates when they're missing the kind of talent that they're missing. I think Tina Charles has the ability to carry this team in the meantime of their two super superstars being out. And I think that they have guys like they have players like Ariel Atkins that can also hold down the four as a second scoring option. So I think that the fever, I think their one in five start has a lot to do with the fact that they don't have an all-star, at least from our perspective. And they got drawn a pretty tough hand in the first five to six games. Like, geez. Now, okay, the Sparks on the other hand. This is why I have them last. First of all, we have not seen Amanda Zowie still out with a back injury. That's something that I think needs to be taken into account when it comes to where we rank them. But, Ryan, they lost by at least 20 in both games. They got smacked up early against the Dallas Wings, who we both, mind you, we had – we had Los Angeles above the wings, or at least in my perspective, I had Los Angeles over the wings. You just barely had the wings over Los Angeles in our preseason rankings. So these are two teams that we thought were relatively evenly matched. Mm, did not seem like that was the case. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, the Sparks were the first body that the Aces caught after playing Seattle two times back-to-back to start the season off. So losing 97 and 69 is not surprising, but it's still not a competitive game. So the reason why I had to put the Sparks down at the very, very bottom is because between not having Amanda Amanda Zalabi and on top of that, the fact that neither one of the two games they've played has been relatively competitive. I don't know, man, that's kind of tough. I'm not trying to make it hard on them. They're one of only, they're, they're pretty much the only team that has played only two games this this season every other team has played three or more so there's definitely a lot more for them to be able to do because they have so much they have so many more games coming up but I mean in the early goings Ryan I don't know Los Angeles gives me more cause to pause than than you but I, I completely understand why you know the fever very underwhelming well, I think both teams, you make, you've made great points about. I want to start with the Fever, first of all, because I think if they had an all-star, it's Kelsey Mitchell. She was one of the top scorers last year, and she's pretty much picking up where she left off this season. She's still one of the top scorers in the league on an Indiana Fever team that's still kind of looking for their identity. The Sparks, on the other hand, I think if they're ever going to move the needle in the WNBA, it's going to rely on the Oguamike sisters. If I had to put my stock in one of these two teams, I would probably say it's the fever 
just because of the fact that they have some upside with the rookie Kaiser Godrasik. I do think time will tell if she is going to get more minutes, but I think if she gets more minutes, she's going to thrive. If I had to put stock in one team, it's probably the fever. I think I think I would like barely disagree with you. I think the Agumake sisters, along with the fact that they are waiting on Amanda Zowie B, is the reason why maybe I will put more stock in Los Angeles is because of the fact that, that the Agumake sisters have been playing so well. They've been the main two in terms of generating offense for this team. I mean, they've been the only like the only reason these games have even looked sort of quote unquote competitive over the course of the first two games they've played so far. And then Amanda Zowie B being out, I think is a big hit because of the fact that she was such a significant free agent for them, especially with Parker leaving. I think that's one of the bigger things that, I mean, from a trade to trade standpoint, I think that Candace Parker was a known commodity versus Amanda Zowie B being a wild card upside pick. But nonetheless, I still think that that's something that they could definitely rely on right now. And I think that's something that they would definitely like to have on their roster right now. So the fact that she's still out with a back injury is definitely tough, but I think that I would bank on them moving forward if it was from a stock standpoint, simply out of the fact that we technically haven't seen them at their best and they haven't played nearly as many games. The Fever have played six games. Sparks have only played two. Still got a lot to learn about them. One team that kind of got caught in the middle of this, though, is the Minnesota Lynx, Ryan. Um, I had them at 11. You had them at 10. Look, man, I think the Lynx, you know, I made this argument for the Fever, but I think the Lynx definitely got the short end of the stick <laughs> from like a from like a how you start your season kind of standpoint you get the mercury to start the year off you only lose by two extremely competitive then you get the liberty then you get the storm they got the storm again on friday and then they get the connecticut sun the same weekend on sunday ryan i gotta be honest bro i personally i tried my hardest not to hold the record against Minnesota as much as you know, as much as humanly possible. I ended up putting Indiana above them just simply out of the fact that I've seen more from them on the floor. Minnesota is still missing Renaya Davis, obviously, and that's one of those big things to keep an eye out on. But I mean, Ryan, is it fair to be low on this team right now with the fact that they have been given such a tough schedule to start the year off? Or I mean is this a team that just has to take their medicine considering they've got Kayla McBride, they've got Ariel Powers, they've got um, Sylvia Fowles, like they've got players that can play up to this competition and just haven't been able to. Jalen, you want to talk about tough schedules? The next two matchups for the Minnesota Lynx are against the defending champion Seattle Storm, the Connecticut Sun, the best team in the league right now. I think if there's ever a time to win your first game, it's against one of these two teams. I think it comes against Seattle, but there's just so much to think about right now with this team. Again, Nafisa Collier is rejoining the team right now, still waiting on Renai Davis to come back. Sylvia Bowles is trying to get back to form with the Minnesota Lynx again, considering that last season she was out. I'm not really sure what's what's happening right now with the with the Minnesota Lynx. I think the ability to close games, like I mentioned with the last WNBA episode, is going to be their biggest needle mover because I think if they're able to get their revenge against Seattle and pick up their first win, maybe that turns the tide and it could help it could help Minnesota out in terms of positioning in the WNBA because right now we're pretty low on the Minnesota Lynx right now. I wasn't too high on them to begin with. I had them at six in my original power rankings. We shouldn't make a case with the Minnesota Lynx yet, especially considering that they're 0-3 and they have this much talent on the team. I would say the same thing with the Sparks too, as they're 0-2 and they haven't played their third game yet either. So I think it's too early to criticize the Minnesota Lynx, considering that not too long ago we recorded our last WNBA episode, and they were 0-3. So they had an extended break since then to try to make some adjustments, especially on the defensive side, considering, like I said, they've they've blown leads and haven't been able to close games. So I think if they're able to close games, if they're able to get Nafisa Collier back into the lineup, a fully healthy Sylvia Fowles, 
will benefit this team in the front court. And then Renaya Davis, I think we just kind of have to wait and see when she comes back. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that there's a lot of things that can you can definitely give them a pass for in terms of this early going in the season. Still a pretty significant fall from grace for them to be in our top three um, to top five to start the year off. Um, in your case, they had them at six, but I had them at number three. And to fall all the way down to the bottom three, that's extremely tough. But I think that, like you said, Nafisa Collier, obviously somebody significantly important to this team's success that's missing. And I think Renaya Davis plays a significant role at a position that they still, I think to a certain extent, have a hole at in terms of having a great perimeter defender who also still needs to grow a bit as a three-point shooter, but I think has the capability of doing so. Um, if we move further up the list, man, the next team that you have, this is where we kind of have our first like real, real disagreement though. And um, it's how low that you are on the Washington Mystics. I mean, I'm not that much further ahead of you, but you have them at number nine and I have them at number seven. Why so low on Washington considering the kind of schedule they've gotten the kind of upside you've been able to pull away from players in Ariel Atkins and Tina Charles what what exactly is the uh the situation with that one in terms of where you stand with the Mystics because you definitely are a little lower on them than I am the Washington Mystics have struggled for the most part this season they've really been struggling this season because they've been struggling to shoot the ball Looking at their game on Sunday, the Mystics shot 38% from the field and 33% from three. I feel like they're offensively not in sync as a team. They're struggling without their top player in Elena Deladon, and I could see Tina Charles picking up the pace, considering that she definitely is making her case for MVP right now for sure. 25 points per game this season. And we're just kind of waiting on players to come back healthy. I mean, we're waiting on Elena Deladon to come back. Emma Mieseman isn't going to be back until August. Maisha Hines-Allen played her first game recently. She was dealing with the COVID-19 quarantine protocols. Sydney Weiss as well. She hasn't been with the team in a while. They're dealing with a lot of outside factors that are contributing to what they do on the court. Because as a team, Tina Charles is what makes this team go. Outside of that, it's sketchy. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think their win the way they won specifically against the Liberty is one of those things that stands out to me. I think they have the most notable victory out of the bottom four teams in terms of where we have them, where you have them ranked specifically. I would also say with the fact that the Dallas Wings haven't looked very good and the Atlanta Dream are like just now kind of breaking even. I think that although the Liberty are under 500 by a game, I mean, although the Mystics are under 500 by a game, I still think that their significant win over the Liberty kind of tells us what their top inversion of their talent is. I mean, in that game, Tina Charles had 34, Ariel Atkins had 25. And then after that, like you said beforehand, I agree with you. It gets kind of sketchy. I mean, you get six, six, five, and eight from Natasha Cloud. But other than that, it's really not all that great. I mean, the most, the, the next most significant player on the team is probably Erica McCall. And she only had seven, she only had seven points. Her most significant stint was more so on the rebounding end where she had 13 rebounds to lead the team. So I agree with you, but again, I think this is another one of those things where my logic is that I'm factoring in the talent they have on the floor versus the talent that they're going up against I think their loss against the fever was kind of a rough one and that's kind of one of those things that kind of moved the needle a bit for me and made me move them had me move them down I didn't move them down by much only by a spot I had them at six last time we did this and now I have them at seven um I think the fever loss is the one that really stood out you know that and you know starting out with two blowouts to kick off the year that's kind of not a great way to open your season but I think that with the fact that Della Don is someone who hasn't played. Tina Charles is, I don't care what anybody says, Tina Charles is a top five MVP candidate sometime deep um, so far into this season. I'm actually planning on writing an article about that sometime soon. And you throw on top of that the fact, I think you made a really good point. Maisha Hines-Allen played her first game the other day um, after coming off a of protocol. And it was one of those circumstances 
where I genuinely believe that she's going to be a player to keep your eye out on over the course of time because she bounced back from the first game against the Fever to the second game. In the first game against the Fever, where they lost 77 to 89, she was over in 15 minutes coming off the bench. She only shot the ball six times, missed all of them. Her only, per, her only net positive on the floor was three rebounds, three assists. What did she do just yesterday, Ryan? Comes back with a smooth double-double of 15 and 10 in 31 minutes. 31 minutes. I think that's genuine. I think that's what they need. They got 30 from Tina Charles, 18 from Ariel Atkins. The th- give Tina Charles one more option outside of outside of Ariel Atkins on this team. And I think they I think they're good to hold the fort down. The minute they got the third option, the minute they got production from a third productive player, that's when it took place. I'll even point it out again in this terms. When they played the Liberty, their only other win of the season. Tina Charles, 34. Ariel Atkins, 25. Did they get any other crazy play from anybody? No, but Shavante Zealous had 11 points off the bench in 18 minutes. Is that significant? No, but the minute they get another player that scores in triple and double uh, double figures for them and they have a triplets offensively, they're automatically a bit more dangerous because every other game hasn't really been the case. The other thing is the fact, I mean, there's a, there's a game against the Mercury where Natasha Cloud had 18, but Mercury had them strapped the whole night and they shot terrible from three. So I think that, give, I, I think we had this conversation on um, the, when we were doing the looking at the landscape, talking about the Washington Mystics from the standpoint of needing to play inside out, despite the fact that they don't have the inside presence of Emma Mieseman and, um, Elena Deladon inside. You got my you got Maisha back inside. Now you have two man game inside with her and Tina Charles. I think they're significantly more dangerous. So I think DC is interesting. I think it's even more interesting considering that this is one of the teams that we mentioned early on. Mm-hmm. You play the one healthy game, this team's a championship contender. Agreed. And Tina Charles is an MVP candidate, and she's playing like an MVP candidate. It's interesting that you mentioned the fact that the Mystics need another option. All of their options, so to say, are just coming back from injury or are out due to injury. Elena Deladon is out due to injury. Maisha Hines-Allen is just coming back, just coming back from the COVID protocols. Sydney Weiss just coming back as well. Emma Mieseman, we won't see her until August. I feel like the Mystics are going to struggle early because they don't have these options, which is why I'm so low on them right now. Later on in the season, I'll say August, this team could turn it around and we could be viewing this team a lot differently than we are now. I think the other thing too is that they're playing the Connecticut Sun on Friday, May 28th. We're recording this on May 26th. That's a huge game for them. Even though the Sun are coming off a very close loss to Seattle, which we're going to get to later. But if you take down the best team in the league in the Connecticut Sun after you just knocked off one of the best teams in the league in the New York Liberty, I think that's a statement win, even without Elena Deladon. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. They got another killer going right, literally, not even like, or literally a week later in terms of they get a week off after that, and then they play the Aces. So they're coming off a week break, and then they'll be playing the Aces. So two statement games coming up that will tell us a whole lot about D.C. in terms of where they stand in this picture. I think the player to watch in the mix of all of this, Maisha Hines-Allen, obviously number one, but number two is Natasha Cloud. She's only scored double digits once. That was that game against the Mercury, and it didn't really matter because she scored 18 and they lost by 19 so with that being the case that's a player that I definitely want to see step up a little bit more because other than that she hasn't really cracked I don't think she actually has cracked double digits since then and that's something that I think is going to be a significant detriment if they can't get at least quality play in the backcourt from a player like her um Let's move on, though, man, because we got a couple more teams, obviously, on this docket. And the next one that I have in mind, we're going to actually tackle both of these teams at the same time because of the order that we both have them in. 
So I have Atlanta at number eight and you have Dallas at number nine. You have pretty much the same circumstances. It's just that it's seven, eight for you. Um, Of course, I told, as we mentioned earlier, I was higher on the Mystics, So I had them at seven. So let's talk about the dream and Dallas for a second. Let's start with that. Let's start with Dallas since they're ranked a little bit lower. This is a team that again, similar to, um, when we were talking about the Sparks earlier, Dallas is a team that has not really been on the floor very much. Um, three games, one big win. That was their their early season win um, against the, the Sparks, obviously, which was a bit of a statement victory. I think something that's very interesting to point out, and one of the reasons why I had them so high on my list, is because of them taking both the Liberty and the Storm to the wire. Now, I think the Liberty is a little bit different because that game was a seven point game, but they, from quarter one, this was, this was a team that was scrappy. Same thing against the storm who they literally took the overtime and had it been not for a couple late game blunders, which should be expected by a young team playing the defending champions at that this team was in position to be able to win this game. So with that being the case, I'm extremely high on Dallas, but I still think that there's some things to point out. I'll kind of uh, touch on those as we go along. Where do you stand on the wings right now? I think it's interesting. I think the Dallas wings are a very interesting team because of who they've played so far and how they have fared in these matchups. I'll look at the start of the season when they played the Los Angeles Sparks. That game wasn't even close. 94 to 71 win over the LA Sparks. Charlie Collier with a double-double in her first game. Alicia Gray, 23 points and nine rebounds as well. Arike putting up a solid 17-point game. Harrison and Mabry with double-digit performances. And then I'm looking at the Seattle game, another tough matchup that they took the defending champs to overtime. And looking at this team, I mean, Mabry with a breakout performance of 26 points. Thornton with a double-double. Arike had 28 points as well. There's games where they're showing out as well. And then I'll look at, I'll look at the last matchup against the, the New York Liberty, their most recent matchup on Monday. Harrison had 11 points. Mabry had 21. Thornton with another double-double. Arike with 24 points as well. Dana Evans played nine minutes and she didn't have any points as well. So there's that continued issue of the rookies not getting a lot of playing time. Dana Evans, like I mentioned, with nine minutes in that game against the New York Liberty. Chelsea Dungy hasn't seen the floor a lot either. They're kind of waiting for people to come back. Satu Savali as well, another another great player for Dallas, trying to come back and suit up for the Dallas Wings. They're pretty much just waiting for players to come back. When they get their team together, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this team gels together, considering that they've had some good performances against these big teams like Seattle, and like New York. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what their what their roster looks like when everybody's there. Well, Ryan, I want to talk about something very specific in terms of what's been going on with Dallas, and that's been the ascension at the center position of Isabel Harrison, bro, has played extremely well to the point that she actually got the start over Collier the other day and has played significantly more minutes, was trusted a lot more specifically in that game against the the Storm. In that game against the Storm, Charlie Collier only played nine minutes, got two points, and not a single rebound. Isabel Harrison, on the other hand, 35 minutes, 16 and 11. I think that's significant. I think that's something to keep tabs on because I think Isabel might actually – give them their better chance, give them a better chance of winning on a night-to-night basis this season. I think Collier obviously is projected because of the fact that she's such a raw prospect, is projected to be someone that could be a future building block for this team in terms of just, you know, developing game over time. But I would say that Isabel Harrison has either played at par with Charlie Charlie Collier or played better than her in every single game this season, even in that opening game where they blew out the sparks, where Charlie Collier had 11 and 10, there goes Isabel right behind her with not with 10 and nine. I mean, she's pretty much played suit 
um, with them in a very even evenly matched competition out of the fact that I think that although Harrison has been better on the floor, I think we both can agree that from a physical tool standpoint and an upside standpoint, Collier is probably the quote unquote better playing player moving forward. Um, I think the other thing to keep in mind is, like you mentioned beforehand, the lack of play from the other rookies. Dana Evans have not seen her very much. Chelsea Dungy have not seen her very much. I know it's still a very early portion of the season, but this is another one of those teams, kind of like the fever that we talked about, where it's like, bro, especially with you not having Satu Sabali, for example, on the floor. I mean, I mean, that's only keeping more space from a forward standpoint, because this is going to start getting really interesting in terms of what kind of lineups they want to run. Because let's be real, Marina Mabry has been shooting the lights out the last three games, especially the last two in particular. Kayla Thornton has been playing relatively well over the last three games. We know Agumba Wale is not coming off the floor at the guard position. So at that point, it starts to get kind of jammed. Are they going to become a small ball team that decides to run with Harrison at center um, and keep the two guards and think, and maybe have a player like uh, Satu Zabali come off the bench? Is Tayasha Harris going to be someone at the guard position that hasn't necessarily played too crazy? Is she going to be somebody that gets relegated as a bench player and Satu Zabali comes back and they become a bigger team with three forwards, a center, and a guard because of the fact that we know Satu can handle the ball relatively well? I think it's very interesting. So I think really they should be as experimental as humanly possible right now because the log jam is only going to get even more significant once they start getting some of these players back. So I think Dallas is interesting. I think Dallas still has a, a handful of holes um, that just need to be filled by the fact that they have empty spots on the roster for players that they know are going to play significant minutes for them come down the stretch. Um, let's move to Atlanta, though, bro, because I think Atlanta is an interesting circumstance, too. And we actually both agreed on having the dream higher. Ryan, was this more about record or do you feel like there's something to the Atlanta dream that genuinely has you leaning more so in their favor over the wings? Because right now I I'm not going to lie. I'm very split down the middle. And I think I put the dream there simply out of the fact that I think they have just played better basketball so far. I have to agree with you. I think they have played better basketball thus far. I think the real takeaway is that Kennedy Carter is really good at playing basketball. She's really been one of the main scorers on this team. And again, I really want to see that pairing of her and Ari McDonald. I want to see how they gel together on the floor. Now, I think if I had to compare both the teams, I think Atlanta's getting off to a pretty good start so far. Looking at their most recent matchup against the Chicago Sky, they beat a, a very shorthanded Chicago Sky team by seven points, but they also beat a Chicago Sky team without Candace Parker. So I think that has something to do with it as well. I also do know that, and I'm going to point this out later with Chicago, Chicago as a defensive team without Candace Parker is struggling, to say the least. They're giving up a lot more points than they should. And I think Candace Parker really is the player that they need on the defensive side to make sure that they win games, to make sure that they close out games as well. Another player, I mean, I want, I want to point out real quick, Tiffany Hayes has been a pretty solid player as well for the Atlanta Dream. She put up 26 points against the Chicago Sky as well. So I think that there's a lot of potential for the Atlanta Dream to be a sneaky team this year and make the playoffs. I just think now it really just comes down to what is next for the Atlanta dream. Are they going to give Ari McDonald more minutes? I think that the other question too, is their bench going to be consistent this year? I would say Crystal Bradford and Shakina Strickland. I think those are two of their, two of their better scorers coming off the bench. So I think that if they're able to get production coming off the bench, along with, along with seeing Ari McDonald in the starting lineup, I think that the Atlanta dream could be a sneaky team that end up making the playoffs. Yeah, I think that the dream are a very interesting team because of the fact that they are extremely talented um, at the guard position. I think that's something that's worth pointing out. And I think it's very important to keep in, uh, keep in mind when we're talking about this team. Um, 
I think the play of Courtney Williams and Kennedy Carter in the backcourt is one of those things that's going to be very important for this team, especially with the fact that, for example, Tiffany Hayes is a player who's slowly kind of catching her stride so far this season. But Tiana Hawkins has been a player who's been kind of on and off so far this year. For example, Elizabeth Williams is another one of those players that I think is going to have to try to be impactful in that front court for this team to be dangerous in any way. I think their issue is that they they have two players who can put the ball up at a high clip and then nobody else. And I think that's one of those things that's really hurting them. So I think the development of Hayes, the fact that we're slowly seeing her as an impact become become an impact player is one of those things that I think is important. She had 14 points in that other game uh, prior against the Fever before dropping that crazy 26 points against the Sky. I think that's something that's extremely important. Mind you, that was a game where Kennedy Carter was pretty off. She played 22 minutes and only scored seven points. Uh, Courtney Williams had to hold the backcourt uh, hold the backcourt down in that regard. So I think that the development of Hayes is going to be important because as of right now, their backcourt is elite. But Ryan, there's a lot of elite backcourts across the WNBA, WNBA right now. But what the Dream are truly lacking is an inside presence. I think if Hawkins can give them that, I think sky's the limit for them as a potential playoff team as well. So I have to agree with you. I what I don't want to do is I don't want to move off to one of those points that you made earlier, and this transitioned us to a different team. But let's talk about the Chicago Sky for a sec, bro, because I think they're one of those teams that we were extremely high on earlier on in the season. Fell a little bit short on them a smidge, nothing too, too crazy. I had them at, I have them at six in this one. You have them at um, number five in this one. We both had them at number two to start the year. Candace Parker has not been on the floor over the last, I want to say, two games in particular with a foot injury. If you've been on her Instagram, you know why she is not playing. That ankle injury looks a lot worse than they're spelling it out to. So I am not surprised that she has not been on the floor. But Ryan, where do you stand on the Chicago sky right now? They're in a situation where they're a little bit, um, a little bit of beneficial, right? In the next five games, they play the Sparks three times. <laughs> so that's something that definitely is beneficial to them they also get the mercury twice and we'll talk about this a little bit later but it sounds like the mercury are going to be in a little bit of trouble as well which could spell something positive for the chicago sky but where do you stand on them right now and where do you how do you feel about them moving ahead just based off what you've seen so far candace parker is the needle mover i use that word a lot in this episode needle mover because every team this year has at least one player that can move the needle. I just want to talk about the Chicago Sky for a second because this team with and without Candace Parker is like night and day. I think if we look at the first matchup against your Washington Mystics, Chicago holds Washington to 56 points in this matchup. And Candace Parker has a great performance in this game. 16 points and eight rebounds, four assists as well. And I think the other thing too is that these injuries are starting to pile up. Like we mentioned, no Candace Parker. Allie Quigley is going to be out as well with the hamstring injury. So that's already two, two solid offensive players that you're losing for a stretch of the season. Now it's just about how do you fill those roles? I know Diamond DeShield, she's a great player for this team. She scored 22 points in the matchup on Sunday. I just think that this team defensively, goes wherever Candace Parker goes. If she's healthy, this is a great defensive team and a championship contender. If she's not healthy, that's where I have my questions. And I have to agree with you because the reason why I put them at the middle of the pack had more to do with that game against the Liberty than any other game. I think that if you can get 14 points and 16 assists from Courtney Vandersloot, you can get 22 points from Diamond Shields. Be in a situation where you get 17 and seven from my student, um, Nadauer, and then on top of that, you're gonna get um, a double double of 15 and 10 from Ruthie Hibbert. And the, so, I mean, essentially, let's think about it like this way you got over 50 points just from your front court. You get 16 assists, assists from Courtney Vanishloo, who's I think genuinely in a position to lead the league in assists once again. And you still lose by nearly double digits. Like, 
I think that's something worth keeping in mind in terms of where they rank amongst the other top teams in the WNBA. And I think for them to get all of those top level performances from some of their better players. Now, Kalia Copper did not play well in this game. And I think that's important because I think she's one of those players that without a player in Candace Parker on the floor, I think from an offensive standpoint, I think she has a skill set to step up in that area. And so far has in a couple of other games because throughout the beginning of the season, she showed up big in a couple of different spots. Um, in the in the first game of the season, 19 and eight, that was next to Candace Parker. She led the team in scoring that um, that day against uh, DC. In the game against the Dream, um, second game of the season, 23 and four. Like if there's anybody who I feel like has the ability to step up in that step up in that role offensively, where Candace Parker would typically feel, especially at the forward position, it's going to be copper. So I think that the fact that she had an off game is something that should be um, noted, noted, but I think when they're firing on all cylinders, they're a very, very dangerous team. Let's leave it, even look at that close loss against the Dream. And this is, again, why I said that they fit as such a middle-of-the-pack team because you play a top-level team like New York, you get everybody firing on all cylinders and you just, barely, you just barely lose. And then you play a middle-of-the-pack team in the Atlanta Dream, you get 21 from Copper, 17 and 9 from DeShields, 14 from Vandersloot. Now, she wasn't as much a facilitator as I as I personally believe in her to be with only six assists. Um, Nadauer only Nadauer had 13 and nine. Again, another situation where they fired on all cylinders, but fell by seven points. So right now, this team is still in a very middle of the pack situation where I have to agree with you. Candace Parker is the, is the, is the needle mover for me. Um, and that's part of the reason I think we had them so high in our preseason rankings. We both had them at number two. I think with Candace Parker outside of uh, uh, not on the floor, they are a middle of the back team. And so far they've kind of played up to that, to that standard, but they could prove us wrong. They got the personnel to, to do otherwise. We're going to move into these uh, final five teams and we're going to obviously start with the Mercury Ryan. I'm going to kind of let you take this one. I'm going to take, let you take the helm on this one, just because the Mercury for me are just about in the same ballpark um, as they were when we did the preseason rankings. I had them at number five for you. They dropped barely. Um, so I'm going to let you lead this one in terms of talking about the Phoenix Mercury and where you stand on them so far. They're at 500, four games deep, two games, uh, two victories against the Lynx and the Mystics. And two losses against two of the better teams in the league, two teams that we both have at, at the top three in the Seattle Storm and the Connecticut Sun. So where are we on the on the Phoenix Mercury right now? The Phoenix Mercury dropped one spot in my rankings. They were five in my preseason rankings. They were six this time. I don't think that their big three is as much of an issue as we look at Brittany Griner. She's averaging 13 and close to eight rebounds a game. Diana Taurasi close to 16 points a game and close to four assists a game. Skylar Dickens-Smith is averaging 16 and a half points a game and four assists a game. I don't think that's as much of a problem. I think it's just the continuity because the team outside of this big three is struggling. When we're looking at their home opener, for example, against the Connecticut Sun, the Phoenix Mercury were out-rebounded 48 to 24. Now, I'm going to mention this later with the Connecticut Sun. The Sun are one of the best rebounding teams in the league, but Phoenix has arguably the best rebounder of the past five years in Brittany Griner. So I think that they need more of an inside presence to complement Brittany Griner. I think the other thing, too, is that offensively they're struggling as well. They've been unable to be efficient when they're shooting the ball. Looking at the same matchup against the Connecticut Sun, they shot 38% from the field. And looking at both their losses, 78 points scored and 67 points scored. This year, they're averaging 78 points a game as a team. Last year, 86 points a game. So I think something has to change. And I think early on in the season, they have to score more on the offensive side. I think they also need to find the player to complement Brittany Griner. Like I mentioned, they were out rebounded 48 to 24 against the Connecticut Sun. So I think going forward, they have to 
they have to see what they have and also reevaluate because I mentioned Diana Taurasi, she's going to be out for four weeks with a chest injury. So how do you fill Diana Taurasi's role now that she's going to be out? I feel like Phoenix is going to lose games regardless of whether or not Diana Taurasi is and isn't healthy. It's just a matter of what they do in the wins and losses that really matters. So I think I agree with you. Um, I actually wasn't aware of this injury in terms of the significance until we discussed it pre-show. Um, I definitely knew that she was going to miss some time, but it definitely seems like it's going to be a lot longer than I originally anticipated. The reason why I didn't move them very much from fifth has more to do with the fact that the bottom half of the of this power rankings I don't see anybody from a talent perspective that's better than them, especially if we're looking at Chicago, who would be the team that I would probably debate could usurp them as being the team right behind them in my power rankings. Candace Parker is the reason why I can't put them above. And I think that losing Candace Parker for the sky is to a certain extent from a productivity standpoint, more impactful than losing Diana Taurasi for Phoenix. Only because of the fact that I know how who Skylar Diggins Smith is as a perimeter ball handler. That's really my main thing. Because when we look at the sky, the sky take a significant hit defensively and offensively from the from the standpoint of being able to get somebody who can give you 15 to 20 points a night and as a former defensive player of the year. But when you look at the Mercury, they're a team that is going to try to outshoot you. They're going to try to outscore you, try to play through um, having significant possessions. And Diana Taurasi is usually at the helm of that. But over the last couple of games or so, Ryan, like Diana Taurasi has not been like the crazy facilitator that like people tend to associate her with. Um, she only had one assist in the game against the Mer- uh, the game against uh, the Connecticut Sun. Um, in the game against the Mystics, only one assist in that game as well. Um, then you go over to the 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 game prior to that against the um, the Sun earlier on in the season. And that one, she had five assists, 19 points to lead the team. That was one of her better games, despite the fact that the Connecticut Sun still won. And then you look at the first game against the Minnesota Lynx. That was a game where Diana Taurasi, I mean, she had an overall solid game, 14 points, eight rebounds, five assists, but they barely beat the lowly Minnesota Lynx by two points. So I think that what this is going to do is it's going to force two things to happen. The first is that I think Skylar Diggins-Smith is going to be on the ball more and going to be forced back into her Notre Dame days, so to speak, of having to be the primary decision maker and ball handler for this team. I think that's going to be important because I think it's going to lead her to be more aggressive. And let me tell you something, an aggressive Skylar Diggins-Smith is somebody who is easily in the top five um, in terms of MVP standings. And it's, of course, obviously an all-star caliber player. I think the second thing that it's going to force is Brittany Griner is going to also have to be much more aggressive. I think that with the fact that you're going to be missing such offensive productivity from Diana Taurasi, despite the fact that she hasn't been much of a facilitator, she is still giving them significant um, production from a point standpoint. Brittany Griner is going to have to step up in that role. I think their entire their entire forwards group is going to have to step up because I think Kia Nurse is going to have to play better. I think Brianna Turner is going to have to play better. I think this is going to force their front court to step up because their back court is taking a significant hit with the loss of their leader. So I think that's really why I couldn't move them down very much because from a talent standpoint, the talent is there. I think they just need to be more aggressive. And I think that the loss of Tarasi is going to force these other players to be much more aggressive on the offensive end and maybe play a little bit more defense because I don't think that they'll, I don't think that they, I don't want to speak for them, but I don't think that they can, they think they can win shootouts without having their leader at the helm and Tarasi also kind of running the table for them. So I think that's going to force them to step up even more on the defensive end, while of course also needing to be more aggressive on the offensive end in order to be able to, you know, pull out some wins. Another team that falls into this category of having an extremely talented roster that just kind of needs to make sure that everybody's firing on full tilt is the New York Liberty. Ryan, you were significantly higher on them 
Then me coming into the year, you had the Liberty at number four. Now you have them at number two. I had the Liberty at number seven. Now I have them at number four. This is a team that has had their best start since I believe 2007 with a record of five and one. Ryan, let's just rave for a second, bro. We've been on this for a minute in terms of the Liberty. Like I said, there was a lot of things that I was kind of nervous about when it came to them. And it led me to kind of side on the on the on the area of caution as opposed to you that decided to kind of roll with the hype so let's talk about the liberty for a second why do you have them so high at number two and let's not use the record as the reason because we know that there's a lot more on the floor that speaks for itself they're a really strong team this year i've said in previous episodes how great sabrina is i'm not going to rave about her more because this team outside of sabrina is pretty good so far i mean Benaja Laney is a surprise, to say the least. Last season's most improved player, 22 points a game this season, shooting over 50% from the field. Laney's one of the reasons why the Liberty have won five games so far, and they've become one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. They went from shooting the worst three-point percentage last year to the league's best three-point shooting percentage this year. And also, Laney has scored over 20 points in all of her games. She's had some effect in some way, shape, or form. She's had an effect on this New York Liberty team. Now, with Natasha Howard going down with an injury, I think the sample size of Sabrina and Natasha Howard, I thought was, I thought was impressive for the most part. I think it's a bit too early to tell with the Shaq-Kobe comparisons, but... I need to see a little more continuity between them just to see what they are like as a duo in more of the games or in, in the games that New York has left to play this season. Now that Howard's out, Kylie Shook is back as a starter. They've proven that they can win these games when Benaja Laney's playing at her best. So I expect nothing less. Right. I mean, I think there's a couple of points that I'm going to tackle. I think Sabrina Ionescu has definitely played up to the hype of where everybody felt, including us last season with her not being on the floor and what she would have been for this team had she been healthy. Um, Ryan, I also have to go out on a limb and look, I plan on doing a lot of articles in these next couple of weeks. And this is one of my favorite ones that I'm going out on a limb with. It's an early hot take, but I, I don't think it's as crazy as it might seem. I think New York was robbed of a rookie of the year last year, and I think they're going to get it back this time. Because I think that Michaela Onyemware is going to be in the – I mean, she should be at the top of that list. I mean, she hasn't played significantly crazy um, in terms of her production on the floor so far, but she's getting the most – she is earning her minutes. She has gotten the most burn um, out of any rookie so far this season, which, of course, of course does influence the voting a smidge. But Onyemware in her in her second game um, of the season against the Fever, um, that was a game in which she was the uh, in the second game against the Fever. She had 11 points in that game. In the first game of the season, she opened off Gangbusters as the the third the third head of this trifecta that is the Sabrina Ionescu Panaja Laney tandem she was the third head to this beast with 18 points in that game she's had double digits in every single game this season except for one I believe and I think that was the one against the Minnesota uh, Minnesota Lynx I mean literally or okay so she hasn't played nearly as crazy she had two games that were uh, out of the first six that were uh, single digits nonetheless she's one of those players that's getting significant burn she's showing up on the defensive end I think that's where I really want to lean more in terms of her production this team has more than enough firepower as it is I think that on is going to be a player that as she continues to get significant burn I want to say that she is the x factor for this team I think Benajah Laney has been really good so far this season we know who Sabrina is I think that Natasha Howard being in and out of the lineup is not going to hurt this team very much I think her being on the floor only improves their championship chances but as a regular season team I think on is the is the one to keep your eye out on because on is when one of those players She's had a couple of games of single digit performances, but when she's played up to the, le- the, to the level of her capability coming out of UCLA, she has ro- rose and shone, like, you know what I mean? And then on the defensive end, like I said, she's taken one of the, she typically has been taking the tougher assignments in the backcourt as well. That's something else that I've kind of taken note of from a defensive standpoint that I think should be pointed out. So 
I I want to say that New York was supposed to have a rookie of the year last year. I think although her performances have not been completely crazy so far this year, I think that they have a chance to get one of those rookie of the years back with Onye Ware. Jalen, are we about to have a great NBA team and a great WNBA team in New York right now? <laughs> oh, man. We got a couple of squads, brother. Knicks are pretty good. Brooklyn is definitely killing it right now in the playoffs as well. And the New York Liberty are no slouch. If there was any year in sports for the New York area, I think this is the year that everybody is getting it, getting things struck in the right direction. So I think this is I think this is a good year for the New York spot, bro. I would say, though, too, with Michaela Anyamwere, I think she has to win Rookie of the Year this year. I think she's had the biggest effect on her team so far out of all the rookies. And I think when we're talking about when we're talking about needle movers, I mean, Michaela Anyamwere could end up being the third scoring option on this team on a team that's loaded with potential scoring options. So I think there's just a lot right now to like about this team. I'll give you a hot take real quick. Connecticut and New York Liberty WNBA Finals 2021. Oh, book it. Time stamped. Yes, sir. All right. I like it. I like it. Two teams with very contrasting styles. I think the Connecticut Sun definitely lock up on the defensive end. The Liberty are trying to poke your eyes out with the three ball. So I think that is extremely interesting. Um, I want to see that. That would be interesting. But both teams, they got some tests. We'll talk about two of them right now being – the Storm and the Aces, these two teams have played against each other twice already this season to kick off the year. You have the Storm above the Aces. I do as well, just barely. I had the Seattle Storm at number two. You had them at number three. I had the Aces at number three. You had them at number four. Ryan, let's just talk about these two teams rapid fire. These are the two teams that came off the WNBA finals. Just give your quick takes on both teams real quick before we wrap up with Connecticut. All right, I'll start with Seattle. I think defense is their main issue right now. They're allowing 43 points per game in the paint. It's the worst in the league. I feel like they are really struggling to fill the role that's been left by Natasha Howard. I feel like the other thing, too, is that the offense, I don't know how how much the offense is going to carry them to wins. The one loss that they had, the team scored 80 points. So I think it's really just trying to find an inside presence to replace Natasha Howard? Is it going to be Ezra McBagor? Is it going to be is it going to be Mercedes Russell? Is it going to be Candace Dupree? I know it's still early in the season, but I think this is going to be a recurring issue. The Aces, on the other hand, they're a very strong defensive team, and they've gotten better with the addition of Liz Cambridge. And offensively, she looks like the same Liz Cambridge before she got injured. And it helps when she's shooting close to 67% from the field as the team leads the WNBA in field goal percentage, they're second in points per game and they're second in assists per game as well. So I feel like offensively and defensively, the Las Vegas Aces have something there. I think it's really just about filling the roles of the injured players because Angel McCautry, she's out for the season. Kelsey Plum, she's been out for a couple games as well. So I think for the Seattle Storm, it's about defense. For the Aces, it's just about staying healthy. Yeah, I have to agree. When we talk about the Seattle Storm, I think the fact of the matter is that, yes, they are missing that that presence down low. And this is one of those things where losing Natasha Howard starts to finally show up. I think that note that you made about the points of the paint, I think is significant. I think it's probably the most important stat in terms of their team defense that you could point out. The other thing that I definitely think is worth keeping note of is the fact that this team is effective in closing games, though. I think that's something that's very important. When the game is close, they've had three games that are within single digits of the way they ended. The Storm were effective in all of them. That comes down to late game execution. But I think the other thing that we need to note from this is that they are getting the best shot of every team. That's without question. They're getting the best shot of every team so far this year as the defending champs. The Minnesota Lynx are probably the only team that I felt like were not necessarily talented enough to be able to gun with Seattle. Nonetheless, I think Dallas was a team that has a bunch of young guns that can definitely hang, and they showed their stripes in that game despite falling by three points in OT. Then for them, for the Storm to be able to step up against the team we believe is the best team in the WNBA right now in the Connecticut Sun and pull that game out in overtime as well. They've had two, two back-to-back overtime games and two games against the team they literally just faced last year for the title. 
the fact that they've been able to hold suit so far, I think that's extremely impressive. Talking about the Aces, on the other hand, I think that what you noted about their injuries um, are significantly important. I think that's something that is interesting. But the biggest thing is, look, bro, my my second WNBA crush and Liz Cambridge is back, bro. So, I mean, that's that's really what this is all about. I mean, at the end of the day, whether it's her presence on the floor or her near or just her flat out production, I think that's one of those things that's been extremely important in terms of talking about her ability to mesh on the floor. She has not stepped in in any way that's going to seem like it's stepping on the toes of Aja Wilson, who's still been playing at a relatively high level. I think another player who's been extremely interesting this season, this season is Jackie Young. Jackie Young has been really good. Two years ago was the first overall pick for the Las Vegas, uh, uh, for, uh, for the Aces. And is playing at a high level. Chelsea Gray playing at a high level. De'Erica Hamby has been a double-double machine for the most part so far this season. So I think, again, I think right now their continuity is clicking a lot better than we could have anticipated. Um, we both had them as the number one team in the WNBA coming into the year. I don't think that by dropping them a few spots that we should that, that means we necessarily feel bad about them. I think it just goes to tell us that when you're looking at teams like New York in your case or Seattle in my case, and definitely the Connecticut sun for the both of us, it's just two other teams playing a little bit better basketball right now, but that does, that should not poo poo how the aces have played so far this season. And honestly, when healthy, I mean, they are then I feel like they are the best team from a talent standpoint, top to bottom to probably what the first seven or eight players on their roster than anybody else in the WNBA right now from a talent perspective. Um, let's close it out with the Sun. And I feel like this is only 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 right to do this, not only because we have them at number one, but because, Ryan, me and you were so wrong, bro. We were so wrong about this team. Ryan, we had the Connecticut Sun at number eight. You want to know who else had the Connecticut Sun at number eight? ESPN. Who Connecticut's Twitter let them have it for, by the way. If you check out Connecticut Sun's Twitter and Connecticut Sun's Instagram, they had a couple of words, a little bit of feedback for ESPN's preseason rankings, having them at number eight like we did. So I think we got off with a short end of the stick on this one by not getting called out on the, on, on the gram. But Ryan, let's not only issue our apologies real quick on the Connecticut Sun, but Let's just talk about how well this team has played this year. Would you like to do the honors of starting off our apology tour that is talking about the Connecticut Sun? I would be honored if I apologize <laughs> to the Connecticut Sun. So to the Connecticut Sun, <laughs> Jalen Dixon and myself, Ryan Lushko, hereby apologize to you for putting you as number eight in our power rankings. Let's just go to their Twitter real quick, because this is something that you actually put on your Instagram story, Jalen. The Connecticut Suns Twitter account. Last night's takeaways. Number one, put John Quell Jones in the MVP conversation. Number two, if you still don't know, Natisha Heidman is a shooter. And number three, we took the defending chance to overtime. We'll see them again soon. We're just getting started. Hashtag born for this. To say that we didn't expect them to be this good without Alyssa Thomas is an understatement. And they have one of the most efficient offenses in the league. And they have also one of the most efficient defenses in the league. And they have three of the best rebounders. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the league. And it's led by John Quill Jones, Dewana Bonner, and Brianna Jones. I think this one-two combination of John Quill and uh, Dewana Bonner has been deadly so far. John Quill Jones has put up five straight double doubles and she's second in the league in rebounds. And she's one of the most efficient shooters in the league as well. Dewana Bonner is the league scorer on this team with 19 points a game. Natisha Heideman is quickly becoming a solid three point shooter. This team has won three of their games by double digits and held their opponents to under 70 points in four of their games. And then we, we talked about the loss to Seattle earlier. They put up a fight against the defending champs and credit to their starting five for playing over 35 minutes each in that game. And there were four double-digit scorers. So I think they really have a chance to turn back the clock to 2019 and make a championship run. But I think it's really just going to come down to 
the consistency of their of their one two combo of John Quill Jones and Dewana Bonner. I think it's also about staying healthy as well. How many games do you think this team's going to win, Jalen? I mean, shoot, I I'll go out on a limb right now. I can't give you a precise number, but I I think with the with the trajectory that they're on, that I think they're going to be the number one overall seed in the W in the WNBA when it's all said and done. Um, I don't think that's just merely off of the fact that they are have one of the best best records so far. I think that's out of the fact that they lock up on the defensive end and they shoot the ball relatively well. They play they play well through their through their main two inside, and. I'll say this too. I think the combination of Dewana Bonner and John Claude Jones, I would say right now, and man, I just keep plugging all of my article ideas. So don't nobody steal all of these, but honestly, I think I would have them ranked number one right now as a duo in the WNBA. I mean, other, other names that come to mind, obviously is Cambridge and um, Aja Wilson. I think another name, other group that comes to mind, I think the one, two punch for New York with Ionescu and Laney, I think is huge as well. I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of different routes that you could go. I even think that you could talk about the, the combination of Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd over there for the Seattle Storm. There's a lot of different names that come to mind with a lot of a lot of great talent. But I think John Quill Jones and Dewana Bonner, I think they got to take the mantle right now uh, five or six games in. I think that they are definitely at the top of the list. And I, I have to agree. I think John Quill Jones, I mean, dropping double doubles left and right with the or for a team that has the best record in the league right now. And Ryan, the one, the one thing that we didn't point out uh, to kick off this explanation for Connecticut outside of just what they've done so far this season is they were 0-5 to start the year last year. Started the year, started the year 0-5. This season they started the year 5-0 with a significant chance to go 6-0, like they said in the Twitter post, push the defending champs to – I mean, an overtime thriller that just came down to the final, I want to say last 46 seconds or so in terms of possession. Um, They've got a very interesting stretch though, Ryan. Um, They close out, they close out May with two pretty um, interesting games against the Mystics and the Lynx who could be playing upset slash spoiler alert. But here's, here's something that I think needs to be taken into account. This is how they start June. Las Vegas, New York, Seattle by June 17th. I think that we may end up seeing Candace Parker, at least in limited minutes. I think that would be something that's interesting. If not, I think that the sky are still an interesting team offensively. That'll be an interesting offense versus defensive matchup against the Connecticut sun. And that matchup takes place two times in that same week. I think that that stretch to start off June is going to be really interesting Now, the Sun don't have anything else to prove to us, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to sit here and doubt the the Sun anymore. They beat the Mercury twice, they beat the Aces, and they took the Storm to the brink. But I think that 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 next game against the Aces, the Liberty, and then their rematch with the Storm in the middle of June, all going to be very must-see TV games that I think will tell us a lot about what the potential WNBA Finals matchup could be. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which team do you believe is the best team in the WNBA? Do you believe it's Connecticut or do you believe it's New York or do you believe it's Seattle? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure where you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.